All right, you ready? I'm ready. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for an episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club, a movie episode. And we've been doing a lot of mashups, but life got busy, and I'm trying to go back to our weekly schedule, so we're going to go back to something, a simpler time. One, One movie. movie at a time. <laughs> for now. Um, and we are going to be doing um, Thirst from 2009, directed by Park Chan-wook, who you might know from Old Boy, The Handmaiden, some other pretty popular Korean movies. And the choice for Korean movie this time is because I was poking around on the SAG-AFTRA. Do you say it out loud or do you say a S-A-G-A-F-T-R-A? I've only ever read it. <laughs> You've only ever seen it written. The, the strike. So there's yeah. strike rules, which I thought were really interesting. And they had a whole FAQ for podcasters. And Ooh. they ask you not to cover struck work. And they were specifically working or talking to the people who, you know, the the ones that made it, like the ones where people pay them to spout their mouth off about shit. We don't get paid by anybody. We don't work with any, we don't work with any studios. We're not, we're not hopping the line or anything. It, by, it's just our hobby. It's our hobby. But what I was thinking is why support streaming services? And the work that streaming services have produced. So we're going to sidestep Hollywood for a little while and promote some work outside of Hollywood. Because if you get over that tiny little barrier of subtitles, the world opens, my friends. And there is a whole host of content you have not consumed yet. And one among those is this movie, which is a vampire movie, a Korean vampire movie, a very original, very interesting Korean vampire movie. And before we get started, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. watched this movie this was probably the first korean anything i watched and i will say there is a learning curve there's it's not just language you, like in babel right there's a lot of cultural references yeah like in babel you can't just translate the words and expect to understand culturally everything that's happening so this gets to be a little bit of fun in that you get to experience a different culture as well and this is not as heavy into, like, I need to know some backstory about what these people are talking about as some of the K-dramas get. But definitely re-watching it, I understood it a lot better than the first time I watched it through. And Matt had never watched it before, so he got the Joel hoodie. And wow. How did, how did you feel? <laughs> Just out of the gate. How this was a lot more than I was expecting. You told me <laughs> about a Korean vampire movie where... The a, a priest gets turned into a vampire, kind of like accidentally, and he gets the hots for this chick, and he turns her into a vampire, and she goes batshit. 
And I thought, okay, I I have an idea in my head of what this is going to be like. And it was, it went like way farther than yeah. you implied. Right. I mean, that's the bones, but damn, there's a lot of flesh on them. We'll put it that way. There's a lot of flesh in this movie. There's a lot of flesh in this movie in general. Um, this was one of the first, the first, the first Korean movie to free feature full frontal male nudity. So, there you go. Yeah, lots of flesh. Which I consume a lot of K-dramas. And K-dramas are fairly tame. They're fairly tame by any television the standards. TV. They're TV. Yeah. And you can wander off the path a little bit and find some that are a little bit more risque. And some of the older ones maybe will have more... More... Um, implied intimacy in them active kissing but let me tell you tits and dicks not part of it so anytime i wander into the movie sphere which is plays by very different rules i'm always a little bit like oh okay all right great it's like you spend all your days watching the good place and then you go to the go to the movies expecting it to be like the good place and instead it's um eyes wide shut Every time you go. <laughs> not every time. Not every time. But um, that's kind of what it feels like. So this is directed, I said, by Park Chan-wook, who is known for these like gritty, dark, old boy, the handmaiden, very atmospheric, very like good. He's a good director. He's known. He's a, he's a well-known director. I mean, probably well known in any culture, but especially in Korea. And I found a review that I think sums up the tone of this oh, movie. Oh, go for it. Okay. Beautiful, tragic, twisted, absurd, and darkly comic. Yeah. 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 And so th I think this maybe will benefit from us just chatting through the plot just a little bit to kind of remember all, because a lot happens. It's two and a half hours long if you get the director's cut. And we have our main character who is Song Hyun, and he is a priest. He's a Catholic priest, a friar. And he, uh, he is played by Song Kang-ho, who is, again, a very well-known actor. He played in Parasite. He played in Snowpiercer. He played in Age of Shadows with Gong Yu. Um, he's extremely recognizable. And he does a fantastic job. I was impressed by pretty much everybody's acting yeah. in this movie. Yeah. They, this, they, they turn it out for this movie. He has so much he has to do. He has to go from, I am a celibate priest who is a literally little guy. so, um, I am so devoted to my celibacy that when I have like an erection or sexual thoughts, I literally beat my junk with a flute. Well, it looked like he was banging his inner thigh. Yeah. Okay. Por que no los dos? <laughs> I know. It looked like he was beating his inner thigh because we can't show a bruised penis. <laughs> uh, this movie went lots of places. It could have gone there. It could have gone there. You're right. I, why was that the line? I don't know. Right. Why was the line drawn there? I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. But he, he like volunteers at a hospital or he works at a hospital. It's like a Catholic hospital. And so there's priests on Yeah, staff. I get the sense that he's employed there. Yeah, I think and it's they, more like they work in conjunction. Maybe they don't get paid to work there, but like you go to church there, there's also a, a hospital there. So if you're Catholic, you go to the Catholic hospital. That way you can get your last rites if you need to. Priests can attend to you. I think that that's the sense I get. But yeah. 
He has seen too many people die and he's tired of it and he wants to do something proactive. He's tired of just walking around praying for people. He wants to go and like try to save people. It's feeling performative for him. Right. And there's a research lab that he can volunteer at where they're where they're studying this highly contagious virus that kills pretty much everybody who gets it. And it's the Emanuel Research Lab. And this is the part where it gets a little wibbly wobbly. Timey-wimey. It's not real clear. Um, maybe if I could read the Korean subtitles over the extremely thick French accent of the guy who's, like, giving us our rundown. But it took me two or three times to realize that suicide, suicide is suicide. He's, yeah. like, he's trying to say, like, I get why you're here. I, so I don't know if it says it explicitly, but he goes to Africa. Yeah to a to this clinic there where they're testing a vaccine for this virus yeah ev ev the emmanuel virus oh is that what it mm -hmm. means okay yeah and so it's this local guy speaking with an extremely thick french accent in english yeah and yes, it was hard to understand what he was saying. Right. He's basically saying like people come here because they think they're going to get to volunteer and then we're going to assist them in suicide. And I hope that's not why you're here. You have to look into this camera and tell me you're actually here to try to find a, a solution. Because although we're studying this, since they started studying it, no one in Africa has come down with this virus. It's exclusively like white and Asian people, men, white and Asian men who are getting it. So everybody at this research place is white or asian and there's 50 of them or 500 depends on what time you ask i, I think it's 50 but his it grows story his myth yeah gets exaggerated over time right because they end up infecting everybody with the emmanuel virus ev and then giving them vaccines and he gets he dies of the ev virus because yeah, he's he's doing all right for a while yeah we and then he starts getting these blister wart things. Ugh, they're so gross. His little like, the makeup skin is, so, is good. so good. And then he's like sitting, writing a letter about how nice it is and how he's got a nice hotel and he's got a great view. He doesn't. It's all lies. And he like picks off his fingernail and he opens a drawer and opens a little container and puts his fingernail in the container and shuts it. With the other fingernails. With his other fingernails. And he pulls out his flute. And he's playing his flute, which is really pretty. And he ends up like hemorrhaging. Which is hemorrhaging. Uh, literal, not figurative. Yeah, he's literally playing the flute. <laughs> yeah. And he ends up like hemorrhaging through the flute, which is such a gory scene. I, I saw a piece of trivia that one of the one of the sources of like the gratuitous amount of blood in in a lot of movies that have lots of blood is um, it was a Japanese like samurai movie. Yeah. And they had this guy rigged up with some blood special effects stuff. And he was supposed to slice him like across the chest and it was supposed to bleed. Yeah. But it malfunctioned and it ended up, ended up spewing like gallons of blood out from the guy's <laughs> chest and they were like, holy shit, that looks amazing. <laughs> sold. We're just it's fucking sold. Don't throw away that broken pump. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so it's become like this, this is what you do in movies uh, when you 
Yeah. It it's so much that it's surreal. Right. So you get the you get the impact of I guess the emotional impact of oh, I'm doing all of this damage or all this damage is happening visually conveyed as, by the gratuitous amount of blood. Yeah. Uh, rather than a more accurate, like, you know, special effects makeup, uh, you know, like latex stuff showing, like, gory wounds. Uh, and I, I like it. It always reminds me of the Adams Family, the one where Pugsley and Wednesday do the play. And, like, they cut Wednesday's arm off and blood is just fountaining out of her yeah. arm. And she's like, no. <laughs> she sprays everybody in the frame. Yeah. Row. <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's what it always reminds me of. But he, but I, I, it gets across the amount of trauma the person's experiencing. Right, he's dying. Right. Whereas if he was just like coughing up a little blood, the viewer wouldn't experience like how much, how bad is this? Right. Like it's the gratuitous amount of blood that really gets across. Oh shit, he's dying. He's dying. Yeah. There's like blood fountaining out of the flute holes, which is such a cool effect, and they. Of course, then we cut to, like, they're trying to bring him back. They're transfusing him with blood. And then he's like, okay, call it. The time of death is, you know, 3.30 right, in the and afternoon. And we get this, like, we stay on this shot of getting a bag of blood. Like, they grab the bag of blood and kind of pause for a second. Like, oh, okay, this is significant. Right. And But it's only on one of the bags of blood. And then they hook him up to that. Right. And so it's implied... Pretty quickly. Oh, and then he gets better. He gets better, like immediately. Yeah. They call it and then they look over and like you can see the sheet moving in and out over his mouth. And then he starts saying his prayer. And this prayer is like, I think I'm going to read it because it's really like a clue to his whole mindset going in. Okay. So you mentioned be before we get to the, <laughs> the, the wording of this. Yeah. You said this was based off of a French novel. Yes. Okay. So the wording kind of came across in English way better than I expected. Mm. So I thought either someone was overly floral in their translation. I think we got a good translator for the subtitles we used. Or mm -hmm. what I was trying to get at is the original like litany was in French from the book. Yeah. And and so that would translate well to English. I always wish we treated subtitles more seriously. This is just a soapbox for a second. I watch a lot of subtitled stuff, and I really don't mind it when we translate it literally. But sometimes it ends up cheapening the effect that they're going for, and I really wish we could get somebody who was fluent. In, if you could get a translator, a subtitler, who didn't just translate exactly what they're saying, but actually translated a little bit what they mean as well. What was that platform you used to watch videos on? Vicky. That would like crowdsource? Vicky. And so then there were like um, selected viewers that would add commentary. They would yeah. add context into the subtitles. And so you'd get a little pop-up with like... Oh, this is in reference to like a cultural tradition that blah, 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 blah. And so I feel like that's where you got a lot of the context it is. that you've learned 
and about just from K-dramas. Lots of um, consumption. It's like, so we have a favorite K-drama, Goblin. And there's a scene in one of the first episodes where the Goblin character, whose name is Goblin, and then there's a um, Grim Reaper character who gets called Grim Reaper the entire time. But the first time they interact, Grim Reaper is in his little tea house. And Goblin walks by and Goblin just looks over and he's not supposed to be able to see the Grim Reaper. But of course, because he's a supernatural being, too, he can see him. And he says, according to the subtitles, what a vulgar hat. And so the Grim Reaper gets um, or that hat is vulgar. The Grim Reaper gets like offended. And you kind of get it, but you kind of don't. But he just says, what a stupid hat. And why did we use the word? Vulgar why did we there? use the word vulgar? So this is I know it seems simple. But this is part of the barrier for people who are not comfortable with subtitles, who are trying to get into the idea of watching things with subtitles, is when we translate things like that, that character doesn't sound as pithy as they do in Korean. Right. Probably in Korean, that hit real great. But when you say, what, when you use a word like vulgar, well, it's not vulgar. Vulgar is really the incorrect term to use there. It's just a stupid hat. He could just say, what a stupid hat. But because you had someone doing a one-to-one translation, you don't get the same feel. Or later, we have almost the exact same scene, but Goblin has returned from, let's say, a long trip, because I'm not going to spoil it. And the Grim Reaper looks out and sees Goblin, and he goes, oh, I thought you were a radish. Well, if you translate it directly as, I thought you were a radish. <laughs> well, okay. You have to translate the idioms, You too. have to translate the idioms, too, because what he's saying is, I thought you disappeared, because the word for radish sounds like the word for disappeared. So he's using a homophone and making fun of him all at the same time. And if you don't include that little bit of context, what it ends up doing for the average American viewer is making anyone speaking a foreign language and getting subtitled sound um, dumber. Right. And they're not. It's every bit as nuanced and interesting. And there is as much cultural flavor to their language as there is to ours. But when we, we don't do justice with the subtitles that we currently use... And I just want to get out. I just want to be on my soapbox for a second there because I feel like subtitling should be a profession in and of itself. It should be a thing that people can specialize in. It should be treated with more respect than Absolutely. it is. All right. So I, and, I get and, on. Uh, for reference, one of one of the things I noticed with the subtitles in Thirst was that one of the lines someone says they use "cause." Because. Like, uh, this happened because of that. Yeah. As a very, C-U-Z. like... Yeah, yeah. As a very informal, like, I'm speaking quickly and whatever. And that conveys the tone of the speaking in the scene is they're just... It's just kind of dismissive, informal uh, statement. But they accurately... They, like, correctly translated it into English with because of. Yeah. Which is what someone would do in English. Right. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You can't just translate the words. You can't just translate the words. I also get on my soapbox about AI-generated subtitles for English language things. So, uh, um, equal opportunity and how angry I get about subtitles. Because people who are hard of hearing rely on subtitles to be able to understand what's happening. And when you don't treat it as something that is literally necessary 
for some people to interact with the media when you just throw some AI subtitles on there that lit that half the time are incorrect. Yeah, because your speech recognition is uh, <laughs> your, your speech recognition is like ninety eight percent. Right, but, but sometimes still... it's a big deal. Yeah. Okay, sorry. All right, I'm gonna put my soapbox away. We'll get back to the movie. So okay, yeah. So we were talking about he has a prayer. His litany. He has a litany that he says while he's at the research, and I feel like it's important to note it because it kind of sets us up for his character, which is yeah, and he's reciting it in voiceover. Right, he's reciting it in voiceover right before he and then dies. that's what he's reciting when he wakes up. And it's grant me the following in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like a leper rotting in flesh, let me let all avoid me. Like a cripple without limbs, let me not move freely. Remove my cheeks that tears may not roll down them. Crush my lips and tongue that I may not sin with them. Pull out my nails that I may grasp nothing. Let my shoulders and back be bent that I may carry nothing. Like a man with a tumor in the head, let me lack judgment. Ravage my body, sworn to chastity, leave me with no pride, and have me live in shame. Let no one pray for me, but only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me. That's a vibe. It's a vibe. So he wakes up after being dead. And it's unclear. The first time I went through this, I was like, um, did the virus cause this? But with, no, the implication is that the blood he was transfused with was infected with, with vampirism. With a vampirism. I guess some vampire for shits and giggles went and donated blood. <laughs> I don't know. Um, don't, you know they, what? Don't think too hard about it. It could have even been part of the like research program. Yes, they could have. The, there might have been something experimental in the... Right. They say that. Blood. They go, who knows what was happening there? Because it's closed down by the time he leaves. Right. Because everybody there dies except him. All even, of the even the staff no, but all of the okay. like experiment all people. the participants yeah. yeah, and then he leaves. Although if it was an experiment and it f- succeeded, why didn't they keep him around to study him? But that's fine. So. Yeah, I, I was wondering that. It's fine. You know, what? here's where we have to go. We have to channel our inner Amos, which is just don't ask, just don't yeah. ask. It's fine. He, we needed a setup to believably get this priest into a position where he could get infected. Right. How did he get accidentally infected? Right. We're trying to do something good backfires in the most magnificent fucking way possible because he goes off to be able to save people because he's tired of watching people die. And when he comes back, he has to feed on people in order to live. So poetic justice, which is um, Park Chan-wook. One of his like trademarks is um, irony. Tragic irony. Poet Poetry. Poetic irony. And poetic irony we've got because Sung Hyun comes back to become a priest again. And at first it's not clear because we don't get a location stamp. But when we see him again, he's all bandaged. Like we see him dead. We see he's waking up. And then we see him coming down these stairs. And at first it seems like that's the research facility, but it's not. That's like the stairs to the um, to the, the hospital. hospital slash monastery. I'm not sure he lives at the hospital. I think he lives at the monastery, and that's why it's gated. And he has a car. He has his little Kia that he drives back and forth. So he's coming down in his robe, and he's all bandaged. And there's a bunch of people at the bottom of the monastery steps waiting for him because he is a miracle. He died, and he came back to life. And he's obviously uncomfortable with this notoriety. Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And these people hanging out 
set up a camp. Yeah, set up a camp because they're waiting to see him and get prayed for because he's a living saint. He's a living miracle at this point. Yeah. And so he comes down, he gets in his car and he drives to the hospital. And then we see kind of a montage of him with fewer bandages, like he's getting better. And he's doing like a magic show for this kid in the hospital. And this lady runs over and starts banging on the window because her son has cancer and she wants him to come pray for him to try to cure him. And here's where we introduce our whole host of secondary characters, because this woman is um, Kim Hae-suk, who plays Mrs. Ra. And she is the mother of um, Teju. Kang-woo, and- who played by Shin Ha-kyun, and Teju, who is our love interest. And that's played by Kim Ok-bin. And Teju is we we first meet her she's trying to give medicine to kang Wu, and he won't take it like a baby he's like turning his head away and whining and so she takes the medicine instead to try to get him to take it and then just goes over and sits down and this is when um sang hyun comes in and he's gonna pray for him and she's like hang on um mrs ra is like hang on i recognize you it's Kang Wu who recognizes yes, him. Yes, Kang Wu like, recognizes him. He's like, it's are you. you. From, are you from Busan? And he's like, oh, yeah. And they realized that he was like an orphan that used to come and play with And they them. were childhood friends. They were childhood friends, um, including Teju, because Teju and Kang Wu lived together with Mrs. Ra. Um, Teju's parents abandoned her with Mrs. Ra. And so she says she raised her like a daughter and a puppy. Yes. This is one where I would like a, someone to drop me a paragraph of context about what she's what she means by puppy. I think she means like a stray, yeah. like like a stray animal that got brought in because she is clearly not even a little bit treated like a person. She's treated like she's an appliance. She's, she's a an tool. appliance. She's a tool. And she's actually married to Kang Wu, even though they grew up together and are kind of brother and sister. They're not biologically brother and sister, but she says at one point she just moved from sleeping with her to sleeping with Kang Wu. And I think it's supposed to be awkward. Uh, this There is it, a lot of things that are supposed to be awkward in this movie. And yeah. God damn, if they aren't awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to this I movie. I loved the imagery. I loved the, the tragic story. But every once in a while, I had to like cover up my face. Yes, the secondary embarrassment of the sex scenes was I get was really hysterical. bad secondhand embarrassment. <laughs> it's and so real. I mean, yeah, I think that was what we were going for, was here are two characters who are supposed to be passionately in love, um, in lust at least, and neither one of them really knows what they're doing. I think we get a lot of... Uh, in America, we get a lot of skilled sex scenes. We don't get a lot yes. of like, I'm fumbling my way through this and we're going to learn about our, each other together. Oh, but oh boy, do they fumble. Oh boy, do do they? Well, we're not there. We're, we're well, skipping ahead. I know. I know. Ooh, I we fast forward. Because <laughs> you were I'm like, foreshadowing for our. I know. You're like, oh my God, it has brand in my, in my head. So the licking her armpit scene will live with me forever. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> and I don't know what's in the director's cut and what's not in the director's cut because I think I've only seen the director's cut. Okay. So the director's cut, if you can find it, um, is the preferred. Uh, it is Park Chan Wook's preferred version. So if you want to be true to the director, um, go ahead and find the director's cut. Unlike uh, David Lynch and Dune, 
where the director's cut he actually took his name off of because he hated it so fucking much. Yeah, where he was because he was not involved in the director's cut. Yeah, and so we, we the whole first setup is really like from the beginning all the way to he meets um, he meets Teju, and once he meets Teju, it's kind of the beginning of the fall because we rushed through that whole first part. We didn't rush; it's like thirty to forty-five minutes long, but that was all the setup. Now we're getting to the story because this they, is the real story. They invite him to come play because they have like a Saturday mahjong game. And he goes to play. He doesn't know how to play, so he's not playing. But he gets to kind of see how shoddy her life is. The fact that, you know, she's cooking or cleaning the entire time. Um, Kang Wu doesn't even wipe his own nose. She wipes his nose for him. And yep. he's like a hypochondriac. He's always got a water bottle. And we meet a whole bunch of characters, like a, a retired police captain. We meet... Um, Another guy, I don't, he, they, tell, they tell us what he is, but I forget exactly what he is. It doesn't really matter, but he's married to a woman who I think is Polynesian. Her name is Evelyn. And, and she doesn't speak Korean. Yeah, she doesn't speak very good Korean. And this is where we really get to the part where it's based on, can you pronounce that French name? Therese Reckin. Therese Reckin. By Emile Zola. Emile Zola, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me look up when that was written. Published in 1868. It was published in the literary magazine L'Artiste. And in the novel, they are not vampires, but it's all about the... The adultery. The tawdry nature of adultery and how it... It's never... It can't... It's not always as satisfying as you think it's going to be. Because they're immediately attracted to each other. Immediately. And he is just kind of discovering that something has changed. He has thirsts. Yeah, he, he, he finds himself with some urges about Teju that he's not prepared for. So when he goes back to the monastery, that's when we get the whipping the himself with his uh, flute scene. And then he goes into the bathroom and he's cleaning up his flute because it's all bloody from where he's whipped himself. And he can suddenly hear everything. He can hear somebody chopping vegetables in the in the kitchen. He can hear somebody masturbating in the other room. He can hear, and he can see. There, there was a scene earlier that I thought this was another scene that could have used some like just info dump context <laughs> mm -hmm. things when he's with the doctor and they're like the. Uh, he has his bandages off and the doctor's commenting about the like wart things. Yeah. And he says, uh, saying Hyun says, I, I have an, uh, extra sensitive sense of oh. se smell and yes. taste. Yeah. My taste and, and smell like, seems really sensitive. It makes me oh, nauseous. Oh, these symptoms sound more like pregnancy. And then nothing, no cl no clarification, no. Let's look into Not it. EV. Just like, are you pregnant, uh, Sang Hoon? Oh, uh, no. What? What? And then we what? leave it because <laughs> he says things smell strongly and it makes me nauseous. And he's like, "Oh, sounds like you're pregnant." Uh, is like, is that it? Is it supposed yeah. to be just this doctor is not doing a good job, or is it 
Maybe that's why is later he has him an killed. Idiom? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe he just it's thought like, his doctor was call me pregnant. Here we go. That is yeah, job. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But he's he's been changing. It's not a rapid thing. He's been changing, and so he ends up looking over at his arm, and he can see like skin mites crawling around in his arm, and he passes out. He can't handle it. He just sensory overload. Yeah, he Song Kang Ho Ho Song Kang Ho. Had to be naked for like 30% of this movie because <laughs> he passes. He's naked when he's beating himself off, not beating himself in a good way, but in a self flagellation way. And then he's not beaching off, as one might say. And then he ends up passing out naked. And then the sun comes in the window and it starts to burn him. And this is the first time the sun has burned him because we've seen him in the sun. And so we. When we come back, he's been hiding in the closet all day because he doesn't know what's happening to him. And not only that, but his blisters are back. His lesions are back and worse. And he's when we see him again, he's bandaged himself all up again because, of course, this is contagious, sort of. He's trying to ostensibly, keep it. Ostensibly. The warts are contagious. He's trying to keep it contained. And so he goes to give last rites to this woman. And he's he does the, like... You know, cross on the right. forehead, she's, cross she's in been, the palms. She's um, been in some traumatic hit and run. accident. Hit and run. And, accident, hit and, run. Yeah. and so she just has this like, uh, what's the word? Bandage? Like, like a triage bandage yeah. on her neck. And you can just kind of see blood pumping out from underneath it. Yeah. Right. And he can, and he's noticing it a lot. Right. Yeah. So he... He does the like cross on her forehead, cross in her hands, and then he's praying and his hands are right up by his face and he has blood on his hands. So it like spins around his head and he goes <laughs> and just licks his thumb. <laughs> and this whole time, I, I thought this scene was really good because the whole time there's like a nun or a nurse. Yeah. Wa they're watching, like just accompanying him while right. he does the last rites. And so he keeps like pausing for just a second like when he's leaning over her to like because he gets distracted by smelling the blood and then he just kind of like looks over to the side like ah oh, i can't do anything yeah about this urge that i'm having because there's this person here watching me okay and then he just has to go through the motions and so he does a really good job of conveying that he's just going through the motions of the last rites yeah in a distracted way right because he even pauses at one point. We just live through that pause. And then the nurse looks over at him. And then he keeps going. Yeah. Like, okay, whew, okay. I, got, I gathered myself. I'm ready to keep going. Song Kang Ho sells this role so fucking hard. And I love it. Because you get the sense the entire time that he is fighting urges he has absolutely no experience with. He has lived his life. Literally cloistered. He grew up in the like Catholic orphanage yeah. and went straight into the priesthood. Right. And so he's lived a life of self-denial, of suppressing urges. Right. And so in a way, he's kind of the perfect person to get this. Right. Because he's been training his whole life to fight the urges. And so he does fight it for a long time. Right. 
He does until, well, till day two. But <laughs> um, he ends up, there's a guy who, you, when we first meet him, he's a, he's awake and he tells a story about how he liked to feed people and the sponge cake story. We talk about it several times where he had a cake, he carried it around with him all day. He was so ready to eat it and he saw somebody hungry and so he gave them the cake and it was the best cake he ever didn't eat. And then he ends up in a coma. And so this is where he gets his blood for the first couple of times. And he's actually confessing all of this to um, the blind priest, Ro, who's played by in Juan Park. And he confesses everything as he's going along. I really feel like I want to drink blood. Okay, well, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, pray about it. And then he, he does. He drinks the guy's blood. And he's like... I'm basically like immortal now. And so he actually has the guy like stick his hand in his chest. He's like, I right. really wish yeah, there was a better a, way to show you this. There's a later scene where he literally cuts his chest open and the guy's hand is in his chest. Rose's ha- hand is in yeah. Sang Hyun's chest. And he says, don't grab my heart so firmly. Yeah. <laughs> and then he pulls it out and it just heals, it just heals right up. over. Yeah. And so this is when the priest is like, ho, oh, ho, ho. Man, I wish I could see the ocean just one more time. Because, of course, he's blind. <laughs> he's like, you mean the sunrise? But, no, you, you wouldn't be that, able to watch not... the sunrise because sunlight would kill you. Yeah, and he's like, fine, you. whatever. Here, he's like, even blood. if it was just the stars. Like, it, just literally seeing anything, anything. Literally anything. And so he ends up feeding him. Anyway. And then he goes back to Saturday Mahjong because he can't really stop himself. It's kind of part of his new, like, he's got too many urges to try to overcome, and he he can't fight it completely. So he goes to Saturday Mahjong, and this is the one where, like, during the course of events, we find out that Teju goes on these runs. She goes on these nighttime runs because it's the only time she feels free. And she tells everybody it's, it's sleepwalking, but really it's, she's so repressed she is so fucking repressed in every other aspect of her life. This is the only thing she can choose to do. And so she's getting ready to go on a run and she sees him. And so she turns around to run away and he catches her. And then he like does this thing where he steps out of his That's shoes. That's a really cool shot. Yeah, we just see his feet and he like steps out of his shoes and then slips her feet in his shoes. And then she has shoes and he's barefoot. And then he walks away. And then he just walks away. And... Oh, it's really sweet. And it's probably like the first uh, selfless thing that anybody has ever done for her. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's why it's so impactful for her. And it's a really sweet, really romantic moment. And hold on to it because... That's that's all we got. This is a fucking wild (laughs) ride from here on out. Because like the next time they meet, she goes downstairs and he's suddenly down there. And... He, she's like, how did you get down here? And then we end up in our first of many awkward, awkward fucking sex scene. Because <laughs> she's like, I'm not shy. You know, people always thought I was shy. I wasn't shy. Uh, and I really liked it when you came over when we were little because I liked you. And oh, no, so, no. Because he kept Kang Wu busy. Yeah. And so then Kang Wu wasn't bothering her. Right. And so she's like, I, you know, I'm I'm married to Kang Wu, but it's kind of just like, a, did I have a choice? Not really. I haven't had a lot of agency in my life. And I kind of choose you. And he's like, okay, but I'm like a celibate priest. And she's like, details. <laughs> it's fine. It's just details. Let me flash you my tits. And he's like, oh, okay, you're right. Sold. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Although, it, oh, my God. 
even during like the sex scene where he pulls the ruler and starts beating himself with the ruler to like get himself to stop this every sex scene is it is not treated as romantic it is treated as like a a vic I, i don't know how to describe this but it's not no no sex scene is like one, maybe one sex scene. You're like, oh, they're together. That's so sweet. But the rest of it, you're just right. like, it's oh, very God, what is non, happening? Non-sensual. Yes. It's a very, if you can have a sex scene that is somehow like a turnoff without being raped, because he doesn't rape her. Nobody, we discussed it while this first one is happening, because she's kind of pushing him through it. But he's not really, he's not verbalizing no, and he's not pushing her away. And she's just kind of helping him overcome his immediate, like, I've literally suppressed myself for so long. Uh, I'm having like a, I'm having an involuntary reaction to this, which is to try to stop myself. I do want this, but I'm also like, I'm also trauma, like religiously traumatized. Yeah. And so it feels consensual, but in like a, I'm doing this against my better judgment way. It's a really it, complicated way they portray it. It's like uh, getting somebody to go to the gym and exercise. They want to. Yeah. But they're, they kind of just want to stay home because that's the comfortable place. And, and so you just kind of have to like push the person through this hurdle of like okay let's just get you to the gym and get you started like exercising and it just feels very clinical like not not even clinical it's It's, just it's it's complicated yeah it's fucking complicated is what it is and wow does it set the tone really it's it's a sex scene that's not fun to watch yeah not in any way. There's tits. You don't care. You kind of want them to go away because it's just a lot. It's a lot. But, yeah, I think it's important to note that, I mean, there is a rape scene in the director's cut, mm-hmm. I think. I'm not sure if it's in the non-director's cut, where one of their Mahjong buddies um, rapes Teju, effectively rapes Teju. And... um that gets a little bit more complicated, but nothing between Sanghoon and Teju ever feels non-consensual. Right. It just feels like two broken people trying to see if they'll fix each other. Right. Finding most, out absolutely not. He's like, oh, come on. I thought we talked about this. You said you weren't going to do that again. Yeah. Right? That's that's about as um, negative as we get. Right, and I, I wonder if this is like Sang Hyun realizing that if he gives in a, even a little bit to anything, it'll get easier to give in to other things. Mm-hmm. And that the only thing keeping him from harming people more than he already is, is his self-restraint. Is right. the fact that he has never given in to anything. It's like you can walk past that that bag of skittles 50 times and be fine but as soon as you eat the first skittle it's harder to walk by that bag of skittles every time you walk by it yeah but but with sex and blood and death and not skittles but they don't end up um coming to completion in this one because they call her um mrs ra and her husband kangwoo Kangwoo needs his hot water bag yeah because she was supposed to be getting his hot water bottle changed so Okay, so they end up splitting. Sang Hyun goes back, and then 
He jumps up and climbs back in the bathroom window. I love the special effects. Yes. For like the vampire movement and strength. And we get a lot more of it probably in the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie. But like him, it's like wire. It's wire stuff. Yeah. But it's, it's just like subtle. It's not the dramatic like swishing through the sky. No it's, whooshing here. There's no whooshing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he just kind of jumps and just gently glides up through the air. It's like. It ends up feeling very graceful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It does look very graceful. Yeah. Because he just sort of, he jumps, but it feels very, it feels very graceful. Very and like dancer. I was thinking like, how do you just like in terms of um, inside the story, what is this conveying? And like to jump that, that high from the ground in real time, it's so fast. You can barely see it. Like if you see yeah. a cat jump up onto a bookshelf, it's so fast. You can barely track the movement. Right. And so how do they convey that he's just naturally jumping up to the window without it just being a blur. Maybe we're seeing this from like vampire time. Right. And so when, when he gets ready to move real fast, time slows down for him because yeah. all of his senses and get it sharper and faster. And so he just leisurely. feels like he's like, boom, like bump, glide through the air and just gently grab the window. So, right. We did miss the part where immediately after he realizes he needs to drink blood to live, he throws himself out the window. Yes. So he, he doesn't even hesitate. He just gets up, opens the window, like, and jumps well, out the window. <laughs> he's like, fuck it, I'm done. And he just jumps out the window. And then he ends up with his head stuck through. Um... Oh, that happens right before the shoe scene. Because he ends up with his head stuck yes, through the window sill. Or yeah, window, sorry. Because he's wandering window. off after like brushing off the... Getting his head, getting his head out of the windscreen, like the front windshield, he has to like pull his head out. Right, and his glasses are all cracked. Right, but he, he doesn't need them anymore. Right, he doesn't need them anymore, and so he ends up taking and his so glasses that, off. That's where, that's probably the first funny scene. Yeah, like, campy, it's silly, darkly comic yes. because he falls, and we like pan out the window and look down, and we see him like his body on this crushed car with his head through the windshield. And then he tries to get up and can't because his head is stuck through the windshield. So he ends up flopping over on the hood. And we're watching all of this from above. And it's not dramatized. It's just watching this guy struggle from a fixed camera angle. And it ends up coming off comedic. In It should not be comedic, but it does because of the way it's filmed. Because it's like this poor guy tried to kill himself and it didn't work even a little bit. Right. And his like new vampire superpowers like healed him like protected him from getting damaged yeah but now he's stuck with his head through a windshield right exactly. and, so, and he doesn't know how to get his head out <laughs> exactly and then they go well he goes back through the window in the this is another window he goes into the, the bathroom so nobody even knows they were downstairs so, together so yeah um we find out that he was in the bathroom right so from everybody else's perspective she went down to the basement or at least down to the first floor, and he got up and went to the bathroom. Right. And this whole time, he's been in the bathroom. Yeah. And 
he comes out of the bathroom kind of just as she comes up from the first floor. And I love the line when he comes back in. They're like, man, you were in there a really long time. This is something that happens in older Korean dramas and in Korean dramas that are not as westernized. As poop some doc. Of the- poop doc. We fart in front of each other. We criticize each other's shit. We discuss Literally, each other's poop. We discuss each other's How poop. How is your poop consistently? Right, yeah. Like consistency. Earlier in, yeah. The ep- earlier in the movie when Kang Wu farts, his mom smells it and she's like, mm, I think you have gastritis again. I'll go get your medicine. Yeah. Okay, so nobody shies away from the fact that this, nobody's polite about the fact that this guy's been in the bathroom for a long time. He goes, oh, you were in there a long time. They're more curious because they want to, it's small talk. Well, he says... When you eat other people's money, you get diarrhea. Oh, because yeah. he's been winning. He's been winning, but like winning yes. at Mahjong. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have this loaded conversation where she's like, oh, I didn't get to finish or something. Like they're basically talking about what happened downstairs. It's a very double entendre conversation. And it's one where the subtitles are done really well because we still get it. And she's like, well, you know, we also have Mahjong on Sundays. And he's like, oh, because he's, oh. he's saying, I can't, I can't wait until next Wednesday. Yeah. And so she says, well, we also play on Sundays. Yeah. And, and he's, he's like, like oh. oh, no, it's Easter Sunday. I'll be at church. I'll be at the hospital. I'll be at the hospital all night. Wink, wink. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And that's when the next scene, she's like, uh, I'm tired of this life that I'm living. I think I want to start volunteering at the hospital. I'm going to start this Sunday. And this is when we get our really, our only even vaguely romantic sex scene because he finds her at the church. Right. There's no risk of them getting interrupted. It, right. They're alone, except for uh, the coma guy. Yeah, coma guy. Poor coma guy, because he's like behind a sheet and they end up banging on this bed right next to him. And it's the first part is really weird and awkward. <laughs> this is the... I I appreciate the fact that they could have sold this movie on the sex and instead the sex becomes the thing that you're like, oh God, I really hope they're not about to have sex again because it's so dramatic. So we, we watched The Handmaiden, yeah. which was the same director. Yes. And I think I picked that one out. I was like, oh, that looks interesting. Oh, it, um, yeah. I, I was like, we, let's watch this one. Spoiler alert for The Handmaiden's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were multiple graphic lesbian sex scenes. I think it's supposed to feel sexual and sensual, though, because you're right. supposed to see and it so as I, like a victory. I was, I was bringing this one up in contrast. Yeah, where, like, we know that this director can make movies where the sex scenes have like the dramatic weight, right? But they're also like. He's not uh, afraid to play with bad sex. And so like in the the handmaiden sex scenes, it's like, oh, these people are having a good time. Yeah. Having sex. Whereas in Thirst, (laughs) it's these people have they have a really strong urge to have sex. And to do, like, foreplay and stuff like that, but they have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) And so it really conveys, like, these people, like, have the strong desire, but they don't have the experience. And this is them just 
trying shit out for the first time. Right. Doing yes. what they think you're supposed to do. Yes. Yes. Like, and I also like think <laughs> like like don't stop with the armpits. The scene where he licks her armpit is so I can't. <laughs> um I think it's also supposed to be like Sung Hyun is holding himself back so hard. He is he's fumbling. Well, I th- I th- because like he he bites her. That's one of the first things he does. I got the sense that he was, he's always sniffing mm. because his sense of s- smell is so strong. Uh, I guess my interpretation was he was um, just like because of his heightened senses, he was going to like the strongest smells on her body, mm. and experiencing that are we trying to justify the armpit licking scene is that what you're going for right now (laughs) um okay as one extra level of uh, one extra tidbit to go along with this (laughs) 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 there's this line i've heard someone explain about like why why do dogs sniff poop or whatever yeah and it's because a dog's sense of smell is so strong that nothing smells everything bad. smells interesting right nothing smells bad to a dog so s- any like smell that's bad to a human is just interesting to a dog okay and so that's where kind of where i went for something i think Hyun there's some some more is, obvious um highly scented areas he could have licked i'm just saying <laughs> besides well, an armpit maybe he was holding his himself back from going <laughs> straight for the The prize. (laughs) Straight for the prize. I don't know. I just know that this is a longish sex scene. And I like kudos to to the director for not being afraid to show us bad sex. And the actors. And the actors. Holy shit. How did you hold it together through this? Yes. How do you keep a straight face? Oh, I, I mean, there's a couple later where Matt and I were both like, oh, God, oh, uh, I can't because. <laughs> OK, so we let's like fast forward a little bit here. So we're, we're together like she's got him right. They've had sex. This is literally the first time he's ever had sex in his entire life. He doesn't even masturbate. So right. the fact that he lasts as long as he does is just like hats off. It's I guess. a vampire stamina. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. But. Afterwards, she's eating an egg. She steals some eggs because it's Easter. So she's eating a hard-boiled egg from the guy. The, the yeah, they have, they have guy. decoration hard-boiled. Yeah, eggs. and she hand tries to hand him one. And he's like, "No, I'm good." And she's like, "Oh, did you eat?" And he's like, mm, "Not really, not yet." And she he she goes, "Well, I'd like to come again this time during the day, so we have more time to like hang out, be with each other. Like we could actually be with each other." And he's like, "Daylight is a um." It's not good. Daylight's not good. Daylight is troublesome for and me. And he goes, actually, I don't want to lie to you. So, and then he hesitates like he's not he's sure like, how I, to say it. I don't it. want to keep my disease a secret from you. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So he ends up going over. And the way he like drinks blood from the comatose guy is he like unclips his IV, puts it in his mouth and then lays down next to the and bed. And sucks the blood through it. And so that's what he starts doing. And she just starts screaming because he doesn't in any way provide context for that he's just like oh you know what actually let me show you and so this is one of multiple scenes where the conflict comes from a failure to communicate yes which 
which is a trope that we generally don't like. I think but that yes, yeah. In this case is I think it's it works. It doesn't feel like it's a, not forced on the right. characters. It doesn't feel like a cheap way to advance the plot. Like that character would normally explain something, but this time they're not because that way we can move the plot forward in the way we want it to. It's more right. like did we ever expect Song Hyun and Taeju to have a healthy conversation? Fucking no. Did you just watch how they had sex? They weren't going to have a healthy conversation about anything. So she runs away and he ends up like coming in the bathroom when she's going to the bathroom because he breaks right. she's into like her house. sitting down to pee and he <laughs> hops in the window and he's like let me explain and she's like holy shit <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like it's like a disease okay it's not like a thing like i don't hurt people i don't kill people i don't kill anyone you know <laughs> he just goes through like he's trying to justify it to her and she's just like oh my god what is happening but really once she has time to process it she's like this has potential like, I think this could be good. I think she's a little bit in shock at first. And then once she has time to like, hmm, I've literally got a superhero on my side. Because they end up hanging out and he's showing her some of the other stuff he can do. He rips a coin in half. They go on like a bounce they, around. They have a date night. They have a date night where he like jumps rooftop to rooftop with her and she's really excited about it. And she's like, that's really great. We should kill my husband. <laughs> and he's like, what? What? <laughs> He really, he like, what she ends up doing is he leaves the priesthood because he can't continue this. He can't justify right. and it and he still himself. has enough integrity to... Right. And I think he's realized that everyone in his life at this point just wants what he can give them. Because he goes to see the priest, his blind priest friend, and he's confessing to him everything that's happened. And the guy's like, hmm, I hear what you're saying, but can you give me your blood, please? Because... I really want, I really want to be a, I want to be like you. I want to be able to see, I want to be able to do the things you can do. And he's like, did you not hear me where I just said I fucked a lady? Like almost against my will. I think it's a thunder. Okay. Where I like fucked a lady almost against my will. And then I have to like drink the blood of the innocent in order to sustain my immortal life. And the guy's like, yeah, I heard you. That's why I'm asking. Maybe you could go ahead and just give us a little. And he ends yeah, can, up leaving. Can you tell me the part again where all of your injuries have healed? Right. And so he ends up leaving. And the guy, like, falls off the bed and is crawling out after him. And it's a very, like, oof. I've given my life to this. And they don't want to. They're not here to help me. They're not acting selfish, selflessly. Right. They are acting selfishly. And here I am fighting so hard to be a good person, and they're not good. Nobody else is a good person. Right. Like, I've been working this hard my whole life to maintain my, like, purity, integrity, whatever. And apparently for them, it was just this thin veneer on top of all their, you know, carnal desires. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck? I'm out. And so he leaves and he goes to live with Teju. Uh, when he, in that scene with uh, Ro. I liked the line where uh, he's like, the the Bible says to, you know, cut off your right hand if it causes you to sin, but no matter how many times I do it, it just keeps coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Poor saying you. <laughs> he's such a tragic character. Yeah. It's a tragic because it's really his slow, his like death by inches. 
Right. He dies, and when he comes back, does he really come back? Is, is it really him? Is that it came really back? him that came back? Um, one of the things that I like is so most of the time when you get a really tragic character, they've kind of been tragic like most of their lives. Yeah. And so they have a lot of experience with it, with all the ways that the world can be a horrible place. Yeah. And they have, they generally have a lot of street smarts and, and the, their tragic backstory is how they became street smart, streetwise, right. whatever. But this is a really good instance of a tragic character who is naive in every possible way. Yeah. And, it's really sad. And so we get to see like their first um, kind of experience of betrayal of everything that they've held sacred. Mm-hmm. And and they have to go through that loss. Yeah. Like piece by piece. Like everything that I thought the world was is a lie. Yeah. And... And I, all this bad stuff is happening to me. Right. So just because it, it he just, wanted to be a good person. It just hits even that. And and throughout this, they're still maintaining their their moral like efforts. Yeah. To like be a good person. Right. As much as possible. Okay. So he Yeah. So he <laughs> ends up living with them through a series of events. He ends up living with them because he doesn't have anywhere anywhere else to go. He's only ever lived in the priesthood. And this is their opportunity to be together. And they do. So we get another naked scene where they've clearly just had sex and he's like, Did I did I do it too hard? And she's like, No, no, it was it was fine. And he's like, Okay, um, can we do it again? <laughs> And she's kid. like, ah. She goes, why do I always end up with these kinds of guys? She why goes, do I always end up with the freaks? Yeah, she says one guy doesn't want to only wants to do it once every five years. The other guy wants to do it five times in a night. <laughs> and this is when she starts. Uh, we start to see the side of Teju that we didn't see when during the honeymoon period when they were kind of falling in lust. Right. We we'd gotten little bits of she's unstable. Right. But it was more of a, like, she's having a trauma response to her, like, Shitty hostile life. I think it's all, I think all of it is a trauma response. Oh, yeah. Every yeah, little but, piece of it. Uh, the, like, the little pieces that we get up till now, it's like, okay, that's a totally normal response for her to be feeling that way in this environment where she's literally oppressed. Yeah. But then now she's starting to be a little bit more liberated. Right. And she sees you, a way out. You might think, oh, maybe maybe she'll get a little better. Mm-mm. No. No. Because she tends up taking her scissors, which I guess she, is a... She has also been... Uh, she has also had a tight fist clamped over her urges. Yes. To not perform them, but rather than, I guess she doesn't have the the tragic event that kind of reinforces Sang Hyun's um, self denial. For her, it's relaxing yeah. all of her constraints. Right, 
And I think, I guess Park Chan-wook has a, his trademark is scissors, violence with scissors, because she ends up taking her snips because they work in like a tailor shop and she stabs her inner thigh with them and then convinces Sang-hyun that Kang-woo, her husband, is abusing her. And she's like, don't you want to save me? Don't you want to save me from him? And so this is when they go night fishing. And this is another scene that I find very interesting. Because Kang Wu is talking and he thinks everybody's listening. But then Teju goes, are we going to wait all night? It's already nine o'clock. We're going to be at the police station for hours. You need to get on this or dawn's going to break before we get out. And we look over and Sang Hyun's like, all right, fine. And then we look back at, we look back at Kang, <laughs> Kang Wu. And, and Kang Wu's so like, he picks up what? the knife. Sang Hyun picks up the knife and she, they're having this conversation like, don't use the knife. She goes, don't. He's like, come on, just a little bit. And she's like, no, I told you they'll find it on an autopsy. And he's like, but it seems like such a waste to just throw the blood away. And, yeah. and then we pan over <laughs> to Kang Wu. Poor Kang Wu. Poor <laughs> Kang Wu is just sitting there and he's like. What? Oh my gosh, what what are you guys talking about? What? And then this is when he like grabs him and then jumps off into the water to hold him under the water to like drown him. And um, Teju gets a hook, like a a fish hook stuck in her ear. Yeah, because they hit a fishing pole when they go over the edge of the boat. Yeah. And so the, the line goes out and catches Ugh. on her ear. I hate fish hooks. I can't fish because fish hooks terrify me, but it gets stuck in her ear and it ends up ripping her ear. And when Sang Hyun comes back out, she goes to hug him and he like bites her ear. He sucks on her ear. He sucks on her ear. And then he backs up. She pushes him up and he backs up and he has like a smear of her blood on the side of his face. And he's like, will this make us happy? Will you be happy now? Oh, this is, this was when he was still in the water. He's, he comes up and he's yeah. like, if I pull him up now, he'll he'll oh, survive. Oh, well, her blood is on his cheek. Well, I thought this was before the blood. No, no, he, he jumps up and hugs her like immediately. And then he backs up and he's like, okay, if I pull him out now, he'll be okay. But we got to choose like right now. Are we doing this? And she's like, fuck yeah, we're doing this. And he goes, okay, will this make us happy? Will you and be, she's like, of course, silly. Will you be happy now? And she's like, obviously. Yeah. And he smiles. He does this like. Oh, good. Like, okay. I, I felt uh, like I was doing something bad here. Then this kind of feels worth it then. Ooh, great. And then he goes to try to get back in the boat and he tips the boat over. Yeah. And then we and then we cut to uh, they're pulling. They have her on a gurney. Right. Taking her away in an ambulance. And then there's a whole bunch of people there. And I love, I love this, like the story development after we kill Kang Wu. Because the way that we illustrate the fact that Yes, Kang Wu oh, is dead, man. but he still literally comes between them. <sighs> is um, there's a sex scene where first we see the, here's another scene where there must be like uh, bloopers because <laughs> we see Song Kang Ho, we see Sang Yoon, and he's like, you know, we could, we're obviously leading into what should be a sex scene, and then we see her, and then. We, well, we, we start back. we start at her head and yeah. she's in the bed and there's like sex noises and her head's kind of moving rhythmically like they're having sex and as we pan out it's Kang Wu's face <laughs> in between them it, literally in between them and Sung Hyun is on top and he's naked and thrusting <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, this is so and good. And Ken Wu is just there with like his runny nose and yeah, his hair's smiling, all wet. And he's, and he's smiling. And there's always smile. water dribbling out of the corner of his mouth. His hair is always dripping wet. Oh my God. This is like the beginning of the fall. It's so interesting because then we really get, Teju loses her shit. If she had shit at all to begin with, the thin veneer that she had it together is gone. And there's a scene where she absolutely loses it. And I really feel for Sang Hyun because she is like, she is whiplashing between I love you, I hate you, you shouldn't have killed Kang Wu, I miss Kang Wu, I want my mom back, I lost everything. You're an asshole, but I also kind of like you. And so she's like moving around through this scene and it's supposed to feel chaotic and it does. And he's following her from room to room, just like, what is happening? Oh, yeah. What and, did um, I do? And the mother gets injured? Well, the mother has a stroke. Or stroke, okay. The mother has a stroke. So Mrs. Ra is like comatose, but she can. she's aware of what's happening, but she can't move or anything except her one finger, which is from the book. That's in the book. Oh, that was in the book. Yeah. And so she's watching all of this happening and she ends up being kind of a pawn in it. And like, this is another example of when we, what I really like, sometimes we have like this learning curve, like when a character isn't a vampire and they become a vampire, we get like the scene in Breaking Dawn, I think, where she has to run around and learn her own strength. And no, we very quickly go from being a person to being like fully integrated as a vampire. Like when he wants to find something out, he sniffs it immediately. Like when he wants to know if those scissors were used to stab her, he picks the scissors up and smells them. That's not a human instinct. That's not something you would immediately do. You might look at it. Okay, does it have blood on it? But you're not going to sniff it. Or he's trying to figure out where she's been. So he sniffs her. Or he wants to move Mrs. Ra out of the room because um, Teju is freaking out. And so he picks the whole chair up and just walks her into the other room and puts the chair down. Like, time for bed. He picks her up. And put... No human could pick up the chair, but he just does it because it's like he's so integrated into right. what he can do now. Right. And I felt like when we get them in the house with the mother, like they're all living together, they're... Because the mom is catatonic, yeah, uh, they don't have. It's almost like you know she's not there, uh, and they're both vampires. They don't have to mask anymore. Right, like, he well, doesn't the, have to cover yeah, up. Right at the end of this scene, she begs him to kill her, and he does. He like crushes her throat, and then he can't help himself. He starts like licking the blood off of her face, and then. This scene is kind of, it's another darkly comic scene because he's trying to give her his blood to try to bring her back, but he can't get the wound on his wrist to stay open long enough. Right. For blood to drip for out. For blood to drip out. He finally gets it. And then he does this, we have this like, we're changing scene. And I thought this was interesting that, so he had cut her wrist open and he's sucking on it. And then he's, and then he's like, wait, oh no, they're like. He finally got enough to sate his thirst and he realizes like what he's done. And he's like, wait, oh shit, I could save her. Yeah. And so that's when he starts trying to give her his blood. And so she starts sucking on his arm and then he goes over and starts sucking on her arm. Yeah. And so they're kind of circulating each other's blood through both, both of them. Yeah. And 
and that was um that's how i justified why her transformation was so quick right is because they were circulating their well he blood. got one tiny little blood bag right she gets like a whole you know and we don't know how infected the person was whose blood he was given. right it may have only been a tiny little could have been like in world war z where one tiny little wayfair one tiny little wayfair could be like in world war z where it's like you get an infected cornea takes longer to change yeah yeah um, but she gets changed pretty quickly. And here's where it goes just fully off the rails because she can't she can't hold her shit together. This is she's never had agency in her life before. And now she has complete autonomy. No one can stop her from doing anything that she wants to do. Right. The only structure that she had in her life was the oppression. Yeah. And now that's gone. Right. And so now she's free to do whatever and so we get all of these cool scenes where like they're having a conversation but one of them is in the street and one of them's in the house well i thought oh, okay yeah, yeah there was another scene the where one, they're being questioned the yeah they're, they're being... both being questioned at the same time and they kind of need like they need to keep their stories um the same straight, yeah. straight. um but they can hear each other from the other right. investigation room yes yeah. and then she ends up luring one of the people out she ends up luring the like one of the out. investigators yeah she's like oh yeah uh during the the interview you asked me about this uh i just remembered something right so she jumps in front of the car and when he gets out to check on him check on her she grabs him knocks him out and then like this was just him. such a cool like the vampire power scene yeah where, you know you to move all the way up that hillside you'd have to move so fast it'd be a blur she'd Tosses him and he just very gracefully goes up and boop lands it's on the ground. It's such a nice change from the like blur effect. Yes. Yeah. From the I'm going so fast you can't even see me. It's more like here's what it feels like to me. Yes. I am just moving gracefully through this world. And then she stabs him with her scissors. And of course blood starts like squirting out of his neck. And so when she actually starts to drink his blood, she does the like, oh, this is surprisingly good. So she's like, mm. <laughs> and it's just making like the mm, noises as this, she's chugging the blood. This movie is a master class in subverting tropes. The, oh, um, you know, the, the dignified vampire trope, the like, I can do all this and I'm like so cool and badass and good at it. And like, they're good at it, but they're also still people. And she's also still like a slave to her own impulses. So she's extremely impulsive and she's not above like, this tastes really good. I'm going to make a sound like it's tasting really good. Or she only, she wanted to be with this guy and she was, and we expected that to be like a passionate love affair, but instead it's, like the most uh, it feels like a tragedy it doesn't feel like a passionate love affair right and so everything you're expecting to happen does not happen and then he ends up painting the whole like front room white and like oh the yeah hallway. she's he's painting and you can hear her voice over she's like paint it white just like the sun right and then she makes a video of like the daytime street so she can watch the daytime street so she can have a facsimile of what her life was like before. And then they put all these lights up. So we have this big, bright, white room. And I love the the haphazard, just like fluorescent light tubes. Yeah. Just everywhere. everywhere. Just like, she was like, more lights, more lights. And he's just frantically like screwing in more lights. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. So then they have, he's outside. I forget why he's run outside. 
And he sees a car driving up. And he's like, what day is today? Oh, because she just murdered the doctor. And he went outside because, oh, yeah, he because can hear he's, her killing he's getting, the doctor. He's getting the warts. Or she's getting the warts and right, stuff. Right, because she's, she refuses to drink easy blood. Because she's like, no, I'm not going to. Because he's found kind of a way. He steals blood bags from the hospital. Or he finds people who want to commit suicide. Yeah, we do get a scene in them. like a hotel room. Yeah, he assists people in completing suicide. Which is a whole other discussion. But he he's found a way that he feels is like a humane a humane way. way of fulfilling his needs. But she's absolutely not there. She is the Lestat to his Louis. Absolutely. Yeah. Except if Lestat was fully fucking unhinged. Because she will kill anybody at any moment for any reason. I guess Lestat would do that too. But she's not smart about it at all. She's so just, she, she's not... Right, she was refusing to drink blood. That's Because why she hasn't had the opportunity. Right, so she's got the, the lesions like he does. And she's like, well, I thought EV was only for dudes. And he's like, yeah, but I gave you so much blood. You basically have my blood in you. And she's like, oh, am I a guy now? <laughs> am I not a woman anymore? I'm not a woman anymore. So he ends up bringing her a doctor. And the doctor, like, walks in and she's, like, comatose on the couch. There's... Uh, like a lady, like a, uh, for lack of a better word, a unresponsive vegetable, Mrs. Ross sitting right there. And she's vomited blood all over the floor. And he walks in and he's like, so what seems to be the problem? <laughs> and this is when she stabs him with her scissors and goes to town. And um, Sang Hyun walks out because he can hear it. And it's like, he, he it's a lot. He can't handle it because it has to be um, like tempting but also revolting all at the same time. So he's outside just like pan having a panic attack and he sees a car drive up and he's like, shit, what day is it? And this is when they're talking. He's out in the street and she's inside. And she's like, oh shit, Mahjong. So they have to clean everything up real quick because everybody's coming. And they have Mahjong. I don't know. What did they think about the front room? Cause they had to walk through that room. No, I don't think they did. I think the top floor, I'm, I'm thinking this is three floors. And the top floor is all white because they're still in the kitchen. No, because they and run the up and down not... the white hallway when during not... the like death. Yeah, scene. later they come up the stairs. I don't know. Anyway, because they're still in the they're playing in the kitchen. They're playing and the, in the kitchen's kitchen. not white. Yeah, and so they're all trying to play mahjong and everything's okay. And um, Mrs. Ra is like. She has been scraping so hard at her chair; her nail has chipped and fallen apart. Yeah, like she's the tip of her nails splintered. Yeah, because she writes um, killed, K L D. And they're like, killed who? And she just like looks over at Kang Wu's portrait. As, as they're having this conversation about how you can convey just by what you're looking at. Right. Like you can, you can communicate with nuance just by what you're looking at. And they're like, oh, is that some like published theory? And the guy's like, I haven't had a chance yet right? Like to publish my theory on this. I mean, it's interesting. It's one of the reasons why we think humans have um, sclera. Oh, yeah. So you can Absolutely. tell where we're looking. It's like a it's a, a way we're supposed to, when we live in a group, that way you can know what way we're looking. If you don't, you can't. I mean, like a cat. You right. can tell yeah, when they turn their head. It's but. part of us being social animals. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense. And so she ends up basically blinking through a confession, like blinking through, because they've not been masking in front of her at all and the whole like 
him killing her blood exchange thing all happened while Mrs. Rob was laying in the hallway watching them. Right. Every once in a while, we cut to Mrs. Ra's like look of view. terror. <laughs> well, like we see things from her perspective, and yeah. then we look at her face, like close up, just like t- horrified. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Yeah, because that's all she can do is just look horrified. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, shucks. Uh, hmm. The jig's up. Jig's up. So he leaves. He walks out of the room and she just commences to uh, killing everybody because they're all sh- they're shutting all the blinds. And they're like, well, you know, it was actually kind of rude of you guys to expect to come over to a grieving family and play Mahjong like just like you always do. Uh, so you brought this on yourselves. And they're like, we brought what? And so the police chief is like, oh, you're afraid of shit because it smells, not because it's scary, which must be an idiom because I've been watching Heartbeat. And she uses that line at the beginning okay. because he's following her around. The main vampire character is following the main female lead around. And she's like, oh, I'm, I, I don't need to be scared. You're afraid of dog shit because it smells, not because it's scary. If it's not a line, it's a reference. So she... She turns around and punches the police chief guy, and his head just goes whoop like a Pez dispenser. Yeah, she just, punches him in the neck. <laughs> just right back. And then she ends up, um, that they, they straight up kill everybody, except Evelyn. Well, we don't know that yet, but um, they think they've killed Evelyn. Right. She come, she's been doing her thing, and yeah. she comes out, and Sang Hyun is like sucking on Evelyn's neck, and Teju is like, Ah oh, man, I why didn't you leave her for me? Like you have your like nice way to do it. This is my way. Why are yeah. you taking this away from me? And he's like, "Oh, sorry, I just couldn't." Uh, yeah, I thought I you already had myself. enough. And oh yeah, you've already here. had your fill. Yeah. And so he just leaves her on the floor. Right. Uh, and he, he puts th- his jacket over her face. Yeah. Yeah. And so then uh later. Well, this is when she, she's like trying to feed from these guys, but they're dead. So oh, yeah, no and more she blood has them sitting up. upright. Yeah. And he's like, it's because their blood's not pumping. It's not bringing any more blood there. He's like, yeah, got to hang them up, cut their feet off at the ankles, and let gravity do the work. Just drain it into the bathtub, put the blood in Tupperware containers. Bob's your uncle. You're good to go. Yeah, you can't, you can't suck blood through vessels because the ve- vessels just collapse. Right. And I love the sucking sound. This is another subverting of the vampire trope. She's trying to drink from this guy and it's making like a like a, like a yeah. poppy sucking sound. Like when you try to suck on like a straw and it's empty, except and we don't know. I mean, we don't include that. We don't include the it's always romanticized. So it's right. really interesting Sterilized. to watch a movie where it's yeah. not romanticized, where it's like, yeah, if you sucked on somebody's neck like that, it would make like a gross sucking sound. And it does. And then he's like, well, we got to flee now because you've killed like all of these people in this room. We can't. Oh, the house is a mess. The house is a mess. We've got to go. And she's like, fine. So she packs her stuff up. They get in his little Kia. They take Mrs. Ra, which I think is really funny. Just adds to the surrealness. It adds to the uh, absurdity. Yeah. It adds to the absurdity because she's in the backseat. They have every reason. They've killed everyone but her. And they take her with them. So they put her in the back seat and they're driving. And we, he, she looks over and he has like a lesion on his cheek. And she's like, oh, I thought you fed from Evelyn. And he's like, hmm. And then we cut back and we realize Evelyn, he didn't kill Evelyn at all. 
she just wakes up and she's perfectly fine. And she's like, not, she hasn't even hurt her because she right. wipes the blood off her neck. Yeah. And it was just a blood smear. It, There's no wound. Right. And she falls asleep and they're driving. And then when she wakes up, I think this is so interesting because we do not have dialogue for right. like There's very little 15. Dialogue. So we have this epic showdown between the two of them with no words. Because he's driven them to a cliff in the middle of fucking nowhere, and it's dawn. And she's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. So, so she's, she's frantically trying to find some place to ride out the daylight. Right. And I think about this scene a lot, because it's so well done. Because it feels um, like, it doesn't feel antagonistic. She never attacks him. I mean, she attacks him to get him to stop, but she doesn't attack him, like, with the intent of killing him to, like, get control of the car to leave or anything. She could kill him at any point and doesn't because they are of equal strength at this point. And so while she's probably stronger because she's been drinking blood. Right. So while she's frantically running around, he gives Mrs. Ra a blanket. He gives her the phone and puts it underneath the finger that works so she can call for help. And he ends up. You know, he breaks the key off in the ignition. He tosses the rest of the key. She tries to get in the in the trunk with him. She tries to get him in the trunk and get in the trunk with her. And then he kicks the roof off the trunk. And then he goes to get the trunk roof. And then they squabble over the trunk roof. She breaks up, all of his fingers. Yeah, breaks all of his fingers. Then she breaks his arm. And he ends up throwing the trunk roof off into the ocean. And so then he... We see him undoing the parking brake on the car and walking the car. And then we see it from the top and it's because she's underneath the car and he's yeah. moving the car off of where she is. So every time she tries to find a place to go, he won't let her. And so finally they just sit on the roof of the car to watch the sun come up together. And she pulls the one thing out of her bag, which is the shoes that he gave her at the very beginning. And so she takes off her shoes and puts on the shoes that he gave her. At yes. the beginning of their relationship. And then they die. The sun comes up. We get to see Mrs. Ra's look of excitement and enjoyment as they burn to death together. And he goes, I thought we were going to be together forever and ever. And maybe we will be in hell. And she goes, no, when you die, you die. So this is goodbye. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I love this movie. <laughs> secondary embarrassment of the sex scenes aside oh we skipped the full frontal male nudity oh right yes because through all of this he has still maintained his moral ambitions let's say no regardless of his compromise have still been putting on him expectations right Right. so um going along with him kind of still trying to be as good of a person as he can be after they leave the house, he's like, I have, I have a reputation that I need to take care of um, because this is, this is not sustainable. We're like, he's, he knows that they're going to die. Yeah. They're on an adventure to the end. And he's like, I got to stop on the way. He needs to destroy himself completely. Right. He his legacy. His legacy as well, because that tent city is still there. The, this cult following that he has. Yeah, because he died and came back to life. So he needs to destroy even that because he doesn't feel worthy of it. So he needs to 
get rid of it. And so he does rape, almost rapes one of the ladies in the tent. I don't know if we're meant to imply that he does or doesn't. Well, she still had all of her clothes on. Right. He just had his pants pulled down. Right. He gets caught in flagrante, let's say. Yes. Because she's screaming. And so everybody runs over to the tent. Somebody blows a whistle and he stands up and it's him. And this is when we get our like, here's Song Kang Ho. If you ever want to know anything about his body, here's your moment. And then he pulls his pants up, zips his pants up, tucks his shirt in and just walks away. And they're all, you know, yelling profanities at him and throwing rocks at him yeah because it was not enough to just die he needed to be destroyed and so that's what he does this movie is a wild ride and i think anyone who is a fan of vampire movies this is such a refreshing and interesting take because we get a lot of the romanticized super powerful super empowered Vampire characters. And even if they are murderous, they're still portrayed as like, it's still a romanticized kind of murderousness. You mm-hmm. know, like LaCroix, for example, in Forever Night. LaCroix is as ready to murder anyone as Teju is. But it's shown as like, mm, it's a stable kind of instability. As opposed to Teju, where it's like, she's a psychopath. She's a, she's unhinged. And Sang Hyun has tied himself to her somewhat voluntarily but also involuntarily because this was his first real relationship ever he didn't know what to expect and he gets as caught up in her crazy as she is and it's a very nice subversion of all the tropes the sensuality of vampires that vampires are inherently sexual and inherently sensual well no Clearly not. This is the opposite of sexy people doing sexy things. This is the absolute opposite of, yes, nobody, no sex. I mean, I enjoyed all of the actors, but I cannot say that any of them did sexy shit because even the nudity was like somehow not sexual. And like kudos to this director for taking all of that and making such a refreshing and interesting take on what it might actually be like to just suddenly become this super powerful thing against your will with urges that you have no control over and that you don't have any blueprint for how to work with. And you can't kill yourself. How do you die? I mean, he could go out in the sun. Right. But, yeah. It's really... What did you think of this movie? As someone, about, as a casual vampire watcher, how did you come to about this? About a third or halfway through, I was kind of like, ah, I got it. Oh, yeah, because we paused it. We paused it halfway through. Yeah, at an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was kind of like, ah, I guess I'll, I'll just get through, get through the rest of it. Um, but I think the second half of the movie is great. Yeah. I do think this is where you have to be ready for Korean pacing. You have to be ready for Korean pacing when you start this. You're not going to get the frantic rush that you get in a Hollywood movie. It's not two and a half hours jam-packed. It's two and a half hours of very pensive action. Long scenes, long drawn-out pauses, letting you sit with emotions. And that can be hard. That can be hard. It can be difficult. If you are used to 
like the front, like everything. Like Hollywood every, blockbuster. To pacing. me, everything everywhere all at once felt like it was in fast forward the entire time because I tend to watch movies that are like this, where we are allowed to sit with scenes and characters and emotions for a long time because I want to sit and ruminate and they let me do that, which is why I think why I like um, Korean media so much because they let me sit in feelings for a long time. But some of the feelings that they give you to sit with in this movie are so fucking uncomfortable. You want them to rush and he does not save you. He does not rush. He lets you sit with it. And I think that at some points makes it like, I think I'm just going to turn this off. I think I'm just going to turn this off and go do something else. Because it's like, I am so uncomfortable and unsettled. Yeah. But getting through to the end, when you go back and look at the whole thing, you're like, oh, wow. That was really fucking good. That was really good. Yes, the setup is a little... That's fine. I don't know how else you'd set it up. I mean, I can think of ways, but... We needed a... Um, a perpetratorless crime. We needed him to become a vampire without there being anyone that he could go back and... Right, like you always end up with the... like A, a trope in vampire stories is... Oh, I... You know, I, I go back... And like kill my sire or whatever. Yeah. But he doesn't have that. And I think part of what we're trying to talk about is the repercussions of decisions, like the ripple effect of decisions that you make. Like this one random vampire gave blood or this person who was infected and didn't know it gave blood or this research facility chose to try to save him this way. And the repercussions are like they created a a monster. They created a murder, like a bloodthirsty beast. He says that. He's like, there's this bloodthirsty thing inside of me that I'm fighting all of the time. Or when they murder Kang Wu, it doesn't, he doesn't just go away. He's present for the rest right. of the movie. He's, he gets to stick around, which it's really interesting. Shin Ha Kwan, who get, who plays Kang Wu, um, Song Kang Ho, Sang Yoon's character, Sang Yoon, kills him by drowning him. Mm-hmm. And there's another movie they're in together, and he kills them the exact same way. <laughs> and it's also directed by um, Park John Wook. I think it's Mr. Vengeance. Anyway, I think this is a good one if you want to watch a vampire movie and you don't want the same vampire movie you've watched 150 million times already. So I think that's a good place to wrap it because we're at an hour and 35 minutes. All right. So this is my suggestion to everybody while we're going through the writer strike if you you're at a loss as to what you can do go out and explore media not produced by hollywood it's out there it's present it's copious and amazing and available and you might learn a little something new about a culture while you're at it and remember sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too so be who you are and love what you love until next time friends Bye. Bye. Unless you love um, Teju, don't love Teju. <laughs>